This podcast is an audio recording of a live event. It may reference visual material that cannot be represented in this recording. It may also contain strong language and adult themes. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ACME. My name's Katrina Sedgwick and I'm the Director and CEO of ACME. So thrilled to have you all here tonight because it's such a very, very special treat. We are thrilled to have the Ardman Studio founders with us and and we're going to get an insight tonight uh, about how these guys work and, and create and what inspires them. Tonight's going to be a conversation hosted by the fabulous award-winning director Darcy Prendergast. Uh, we're thrilled to have you here, Darcy. He's known for his work directing the Nickelodeon animated miniseries Super Fresh and he's also the founder-director of Creative Juggernaut Oh Yeah Wow. But I'd now like to welcome the three of them, uh, Darcy in conversation with Peter and David. Please make them welcome. Well, first of all, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for coming along. Um, obviously, you don't need to twist your arms too much. It's Peter and David, the two juggernauts of the industry. It's a great honour for, for myself to be chatting to them up here. And I, I guess to kick things off, I have a bit of a confession to make. Um, as a child, I would sit down, uh, and this is going back to when I was 16, 15, 16, same sort of time you guys started, and I would freeze frame on VHS my way through the cliché and all the rest of it and now in classics and literally watch these films frame by frame. So, you know, kind of reliving the, the hardship that Animator went through almost uh, as I slow motion kind of made my way through, through these kind of masterpieces. And um, it's, again, it's, it's the very reason I'm in film today. And, and going back to what was said a little earlier uh, about young kids being the audience, um, it's just amazing where I think I'd be without animation, without the inspiration these guys gave me. And um, I'd been in a lot of trouble, I think. I was a bit of a troublemaker as a kid. And animation gave me real focus and real, really kind of sent me in a positive direction. Yeah. And it's a bit cheesy, I know, but I just want to get that out of the way. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and I'm pleased you did that. Yeah. I'm pleased that you appreciated all that hard work that we did. Yes, I certainly did. What I'd like to do first off is give you guys a little bit of an overview of, I guess, the diverse and innovative work these guys have done. What, what stands out to you guys as, as your favourite piece, personally? Cool. <laughs> Oh, there's so many, actually. There are. Uh, there obviously. are so many. Yeah. Um, we often refer to the, the wrong trousers as kind of, um, in a way, the perfect short film. It's, a, it's an extraordinary... Partly because the rough cut was about 38 minutes. We had to get it down to 30 minutes, which means there's no fat in it. Mm. But when you look at it, when you analyse it, it is so beautifully structured. Mm. And every shot leads you to the next shot. And it's still a really wonderful film. Nick you know, and, and Bob Baker conceived it and wrote it. Uh, and Nick's very sure-footed storytelling really comes out in that. You know, what have you got? A three-hander, one speaking part. Yeah. And mm. half an hour of great entertainment. I, I, I tell you what I was thinking, seeing that lot uh, playing, um, which is so important, is, is that what you saw there was the work of, uh, it's, hard, it's impossible to count, but hundreds of different people, mm. you know, and um, and... I don't know, 30 different directors, probably, maybe more. I don't yeah. know, 30 directors, uh, 100 animators, animators, designers, uh, set builders, uh, computer animators, illustrators, all those people that, that, that is the team. Uh, Dave and I, obviously, our job is to take the credit for the whole thing, of course. <laughs> but, um, but, but there's an amazing, amazing uh, team back in Bristol over the 40 years. I'd like to go back to a kind of a time when the team was a little smaller and it was just you, you both. And yeah. kind of go back to the very beginning of this kind of 40-year journey yep. um, and, and take a look at some of your um, 
perhaps now embarrassing to you. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> tests that you've done. And this one here ah, is... Ah, yes, oh, yes, yes, yes. A yes. very, very early test. Yes. And, and Dave, you're behind the camera on this one. And Pete, yeah, I mean, what had happened here, what had happened, um, a BBC producer, a guy, the guy that produced actually Vision On, some of you may, may remember Vision On, uh, later went on to become Take Heart, said he'd seen a little bit of our very early work and he said, look, here's a hundred, hundred foot of film which is about four minutes worth in 16 mil terms. Just do some stuff on it. Show us what you can do. Um, and we did a bit of everything, including this ridiculous sequence. These are our school chums, who after this afternoon were no longer our school chums. And you'll see why in a minute. Uh, this is classic pixelation, where you get people to effectively be, be your puppets. In this case, you wanted them to fly around the, the skies, uh, which you do simply by getting them to jump up in the air on the count of three, and you take a frame. And then you do it again and again yeah. and again yeah. until yeah. they have no muscles left. Yeah. Um, but this is it. this is the result. Now, this one's only 16 seconds long, but carrying on from that, you'll see that the clip ends with just Peter in frame, and I wonder if it's actually because the rest of the guys left. Yeah, yeah. probably. Yeah. <laughs> Those weaklings. Yeah. Oh, that's me. That's me. <laughs> Now, have you done that, Darcy? Have you done that? I have, actually. I before. hope so. I, yeah. I, I hope that every animator in the room has done that, you, if not... Do it. Go out and do it quick. It's, it's the classic thing to do. To, uh, the easiest, it's the easiest form of animation in the world because it you don't need any special... You don't yeah. even need plasticine, which no, is you know, right. easily accessible. It's just yourself and a camera. Yeah. You can go out there and move yourself about in an awfully silly fashion. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. yeah <laughs> um, moving on to uh, a piece that we saw last night. I just want to chat through this a little bit as well. This is kind of the genesis of, of both Aardman, the, the name, and Aardman, the studio. Yeah. Yes, it's that we... This, uh, in the same, actually, that same um, role of film that Dave's talking about, we, we we did one sequence which was conventional, traditional drawn animation. Uh, back when we talk about 1970 or thereabouts, and back then for us, um, drawn animation was absolutely the norm. In the same way that now computer animation is the norm, back then people drew everything, and I, I often say there was a uh, like a, a period of sophistication um, and at the very peak at the top would be like one of the, the Disney cartoons and way down at the bottom of that period in the basement would be us um, <laughs> d- doing the same thing but v- but very very badly frankly um, uh, uh, but but having said it was bad it wasn't, it wasn't very good this thing we're about to see was the sequence that we sold to the BBC um, which was which was incredibly important because um because without that, like I was talking to Darcy earlier, without that encouragement, um, we might not have had this career because because we weren't, we were not, you know, um, fiercely dedicated and focused to a career in animation. We were just, we were just experimenting. Um, but then maybe that one sale of this one film was enough to convince us to keep going. And I think it's probably worth saying that the producer Patrick Dowling, who oddly enough retired to Australia. Uh, after he left the BBC, um, clearly saw something in us. He was quite persistent. Clear, this sequence isn't great, but he saw something in it that he thought actually will will support these two guys and just see what happens. Didn't cost him a lot of money. This this whole thing, the whole exercise of giving us a roll of film, probably cost him about a tenner. Um, <laughs> it wasn't a massive investment in those days. <laughs> uh, without any further ado, we'll have a little look. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's the end. It, it was good enough, you know. It was good <laughs> enough. I think they, I think they paid twenty five pounds for that. Um, and that character, of course, 
Oh, I say of course. That character was called Ardman because you you may not understand him, but you can see he's meant to be a superhero with his because he wears his pants outside his his suit and, and the cape and the cape. <laughs> so you see that he's meant to be a superhero, uh, and we called him Ardman using the the Ard of Ardvark and the Man of Superman. It, it doesn't mean very much. But. <laughs> but And that's why we are called Old Man. We got this check. We had to bank it. And we... Does it go into my account? Does it go into his account? Should we open an account? <laughs> Lord Sproxton Productions, which probably would have been a smarter idea. But no, we thought, Old Man and... Um, Old Man and Masons, let's call it that. And that's what we did. That's where it came from. And that stuck. And away it went. Yep. Uh, we've got a couple of images here. Oh, yeah. Um just, so that's the kind of, your, yeah, that's your just, long haired that, days. That's yeah. right. So that's where we're 1972 ish, something like that. Yeah. So that's what we were shooting that sequence on. The little camera rostrum. Oddly enough, there's a, there's a real camera rostrum, a fully professional one, in the permanent exhibit in, at Acme, mm-hmm. only uh, a few yards from here, which is interesting to see because most people don't know what a camera rostrum is, but that's how you shot 2D flat animation. Uh, the one in the exhibit is a damn sight more complicated than ours, but the principle was the same. Camera looks down, you're shooting artwork. Yeah. Um, and one, that process is actually quite laborious in many ways. In fact, the whole process is really quite laborious in those days. So we wanted to, we wanted to find a way of making films which was simply less laborious um, and they gradually moved into clay and 3D. Here we are uh, now. <laughs> yeah, so... Looking at this now, this is this is kind of uh, shed shed two warehouse two studio two yeah. of Ardman. So we have, I guess, the headquarters here, and, and as well as the feature division. Yeah, this this bunch is the headquarters. So that's the that's the, almost all permanent staff, mm. and we do in that building. We do TV commercials. Uh, we we develop things. We, we um, you know gen, generate new ideas. Uh, we do uh, digital and online stuff, and then we do. Licensing and rights and marketing and accounts and stuff like that yeah. and and lots and quite a lot of CGI as well. There's, there's quite a big CG department in that building. Yeah, and we're going we're going to see it here in a minute. We're going to kind of work backwards through the yeah. team the team size a little. Um, this is the largest of the, of the crews thus far, I believe. That's it's, um, the biggest. Pirates yeah, yeah. five hundred plus. Is that? Maybe not all pictured there, but I think it's about three hundred there. Which yeah. heaven knows is enough. Uh, and. Uh, well, I was going to ask you about that. I mean, obviously going from a small team to a large one, what sort of teething issues did you kind of come across when you were expanding? When we started Features you know, with Chicken Run, we thought, well, this is just three 30-minute films, isn't it? That's mm. kind of three close shaves. Yeah. What's the problem? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you can just scale things up a bit, get a few more people in. Everything's different. Yeah. Uh, the story's different. Scale of the story's bigger. It's a lot more wrangling of the story. And then you realise it becomes a major exercise because in order to get the film made in a reasonable time frame, you need mm. have many more people. And the thing that we hadn't clocked was actually communication with the crew, a crew of that size. You need a lot more sort of production managers and floor managers. Yeah. Mm. Um, and we hadn't... It took us a good few months to understand what, what we needed. That was the gap that we hadn't, hadn't registered. And it's interesting because on, on Nick's film, which we're shooting now, Early Man, actually quite a, little, a smaller crew than Pirates... But they've got quite high tech. All the floor managers running around with little, little iPads and tablets and things. And communication is actually much swifter and more efficient. Mm. But that was handling, you know, 150, 200 people. All sorts of things happen. Um, and you just need a lot more stuff. Yeah. Mm. yeah. We're kind of working, working backwards again. We have these guys. What was, oh, yeah. what was that from? 
Well, that is, that's around about uh, uh, 98 or something like that, I think. Shade, yeah. and, the, and the reason yeah. it's there, I think, is because is that was just before we split in half. So that was the whole team back then. Right. Uh, just as we were preparing to go make the the as chicken yeah. and wow. uh, I think that's what we're celebrating. Yep. Yeah. And this one, oh yeah, that yeah, okay. down by the oh, 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 yeah, yeah. Still getting used to this little trigger here. Yeah. yeah. yeah um, <laughs> down by the docks, so um, must be in the in the uh, earlier nineties. Yeah. 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 We've got one here from Sledgehammer as well. Which that's is the end of cool. Sledgehammer. Yeah. Iconic yeah. clips. Yes. Um, I, I guess I wanted to chat to you guys a little bit about. Um, I mean, you used to always holiday together as well. We've got some pretty uh, tropical yeah, attire yeah, on yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we did everything together. Back us, us in AY <laughs> in the studio, of course. We took the. We were doing a little, a funny little commercial for a French agency, and uh, it was this weird tropical setup. So we thought, let's take. A Take a picture. It's all come in in Hawaiian shirts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, continuing on from that thought, I mean, like we kind of, you, you must have such a strong mateship. I mean, obviously you were kind of doing this as sixteen-year-olds, and you, you both formed that camaraderie right there and then. But how's yeah. how's that been? How's that been tested throughout your career? Have you ever had a fight? <laughs> not, a, not, not a physical fight. Oh, physical, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Part it's a of mental the, battle. Yeah. I think, but what we've got is that classic producer-director partnership. Yeah. yeah, I'm more behind the scenes. Bit of a techie producer. Mm. How do you make this? How do you, how do you get on screen? What the what what the vision is? Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I did. So I was in when it was just the two of us. I was doing all the lighting, camera, and the production side. Mm-hmm. We thought up ideas together. We scripted stuff together. Yeah. And Pete was more of a hands-on creative sculptor animator. Yeah. Um, and so from that point of view, we weren't we weren't really treading on each other's toes too much. Mm. Yeah. But it meant the two of us together could make things happen which we wouldn't have done individually yeah and, and when did you kind of move more into that role was that was that a pretty organic kind of process uh it, in a sense it was when we started doing chicken run uh the company had expanded and it was decided that pete and nick would co-direct that mm-hmm. and i said well in that case you do that and i'll kind of actually step back a bit from production i was directing commercials and things at the mm-hmm. time and actually manage actually the rest of the company, the commercial side and the other areas which are beginning to build up. As, as, at the same time, as keeping a, a, new, a bit of an eagle eye out on what's happening on the features as well. So on the features, my role comes in as a kind of slightly more objective eye at the story wheel process. Yeah. Um, I'm quite close to the camera people and the technicians there. And I go in at least once a week and look at stuff. And then I tend to come back in in post-production on soundtrack and, and music. Uh, and the post-production side. Yeah, really. Um, we're going to kind of keep going backwards yeah. through, through the That's memoirs the, here. That's the whole crew. Wow, ninety-four something like that. Something maybe? like that. Oh, yeah. about ninety. No, earlier yeah, than that, maybe. Than that, yeah. Earlier than that, yeah. <laughs> but that's the entire team. Wow. And the, uh, yeah, and that's the entire that's the entire team. <laughs> even earlier, when we had, I think that was the days when when the studio ha- had. A computer, that was right, wasn't it? I think. <laughs> and, and, it did, and it did accounts, yeah, yeah. slowly. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Yes. Yeah. And then we go back one step further. One step and we further. Have the, uh, the, sad, the saddest <laughs> Christmas party in history. <laughs> as, as you can see, we recycled that banner from 1982 to 1983. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was... Yeah. So, that, so, so Dave, Dave and me and the guy on the left is, is Richard Starzak, who's always called Golly, uh, it's his nickname... And, um, he, and he's been quite a large collaborator with you guys, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's done, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He, he joined, joined, he joined, us, a, he joined us as a young graduate literally months before that photograph was taken. Mm-hmm. And he's the creative director of all the Sean the Sheep stuff. Yeah. So he's great. I'm pleased to say that isn't the same jacket I'm wearing tonight. 
<laughs> You've grown into it a little more now. <laughs> um, I want to chat to you guys a little bit about inspiration now, just sort of taking it back to where it all began for you yeah. and what, what started that whole process. And I guess you were talking at one point about Jason the Argonauts. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. of course, Ray Harryhausen, who's a, a huge inspiration to a, a lot of animators. Yeah. We, we, you know, I saw this film in... Uh, the, I th- well, I, actually, I saw it when I was in Australia, actually. Which, so oh. in the early 60s, and all my class saw it, and it was absolutely a revelation, you know. It, it, these, this sort of image, which now, I don't know how it looks to a young audience, maybe, maybe it looks a little bit clunky, you can sort of see the joins a bit, but at the time, you, you'd never seen anything like it before. You, you couldn't, you know, it was... It was the absolute acme of, of, of invention and and um, you know, yeah and thrills and the same sort of effect that that maybe that, that Star Wars had when that first came out exactly. you know and yeah. uh, when the, maybe when the Matrix first came out I and I, I don't know about you but I kind of feel that that thrill sort of doesn't exist anymore because you go into the into the cinema knowing that. You can see anything. Anything is anything is impossible, um, which is marvelous. But you don't you don't quite get the incredible thrill of this. And the animator of these skeletons, Ray Harryhausen, an American guy, was in, indeed an absolute genius because he um, he 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 was a one man industry. Yeah. You know, he, did, he 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 built the models. You know, he choreographed the fights, and then he animated the models and did did the. You know, the technical side to get the lighting to match and so on. Superb, superb guy. And, and whilst it is clunky, it still holds up better than some bad CG. You it know? does. Like, it you, t- you rewind well. the clock three years on a CG and you know a CG feature film even or or, yeah. or kind of a VFX kind of film, and you you see some stuff that's far worse than this. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I want to chat about your your other inspiration, which is probably going back quite a way before this. Indeed, maybe is it or not? Yeah, uh, this, um, well, this actually, next one here. Actually, this is a strange one because, in fact, this that that blob um, <laughs> uh, it will it will move in a it second. Will move is from a, it was a film made in America. Um, it's actually later than Jason the Argonauts, I think. It must be about sixty two or sixty three. It was made, and um, I glimpsed it on TV once in in Britain. Uh, in in a compilation program, I think, and in my memory, I saw it and and was charmed by it. Well, let's have, let's have a look. See how charming yeah. it is. It's just it's just it, what it is. It's very obvious. It couldn't be more obvious. It's <laughs> it's clay or plasticine animating, and, and the you know the, the marks of the fingerprints and so on are incredibly clear. And I I remember seeing this and thinking. Thinking, oh, that's perfect. I mean, what a what a what a perfect use of of material and a medium of you know, animation in clay. Yeah. Uh, and then and then uh, and that and we you know we never made a film like that, nor did we ever make a film like Jason and the Argonauts. Mm. But but it was just enough to suggest the possibility in your head. Absolutely. Mm. And as we, we spoke earlier about um, I, I, the. the the insp- that, that being a massive inspiration yeah. to you and, and me watching this now and thinking, yeah, a three-year-old could kind of pick up stop yeah, motion, yeah. like a stop motion camera and, and bash it out in an afternoon. And it's amazing how how much those goal posts have been shifted now yeah. um, and, and how far it's come along in yeah. such a short space of time. Yeah. Um, and you actually got to meet this man. I, I met the guy that... Uh, I saw that thing that we just saw in black and white. Uh, I, I saw it in black and white. It looked like it was ancient. I didn't know who the hell had made it. And it took me a long time to find him on um, 
Google. But then, sure <laughs> enough, it, it eventually, eventually we found the name uh, Elliot Noyes. And it was very sad to, to, to discover he died a long time ago. Uh, and I was in San Francisco at a film festival. I, I showed that clip regretted the loss of the director and, and after the show he, he came up to me and he said I'm, I'm Elliot Noyes and I'm not at all dead uh, and, uh, and he wasn't so I got a bit confused with his father uh, yeah, so he was he is in fact Elliot Noyes Jr so it was lovely to meet him <laughs> Weirdly, I, I see a, a strong collect, connection between the Elliot Noise clip and one of your first ever pieces, and indeed this piece, the connection this one has to morph, and I guess the evolution of yeah. of your mm-hmm. inspirations and, and and how that kind of went on and, and became became what it is today. But this one here is, I, I really do see a, a vivid connection to the Elliot Noise um, piece we just watched, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and this was your very first or one of the very first. Well, it's certainly one of the very first pieces we did in clay. Yeah, yeah. Mm. kind of yes. Character-driven bits in clay, certainly. Yeah, we would shoot the stuff, send our footage off the BBC, and they did they they did everything else, and we would get black and white rushes. We'd shot it in colour, but they didn't want to afford to pay um, colour rushes, <laughs> pay for colour rushes for us. So we this is what we would get back, yeah. and this is what we've got in the vaults. We um, haven't got actually the final <laughs> finished program. Those guys are about only about that tall, very small, and but um, but that same sort of mischievousness that has the idea something mischievous that's going to mess up. The tabletop, the scene, the program, yeah. which led on to something else when we got when that program moved into an art-based program called mm. Take Heart. Yeah, and for those of you who were here last night as well, you may have seen the morph clip that that almost replicated that tabletop yeah. Yeah. Uh, mayhem. Um, mm. But but speaking of morph, um, yes. obviously Peter, you're actually not sculpting a morph. Uh, no, as we, I'm not. As we speak. No, for some reason, I've got to. Every time I've hung out this weekend, there's always <laughs> been a morph in his hand that he's sculpting sculpting up, mm. but. You know, he's such an iconic character and obviously has been around for many, many years and mm. was certainly around when, when Arbum was, was kind of ascending. Yeah. Um, what does Morph mean to you? I'm curious. Like, what does he represent? <laughs> <laughs> well, a very, um, I think, uh, a very simple form of creativity, very direct. That's the thing. That's the thing about Morph because he is just made out of modelling clay Um to, to build him from scratch takes about 20 minutes and then you've got you've got a working animation puppet which is itself a good thing uh, and there's a f- there's a lovely sort of freedom about him because um, conceivably I can make him and sit down and animate him I, I haven't animated him for years by the way but but you could just sit down and animate um, off the top of your head you know you don't you don't have to plan. It's very liberating in that sense. To tell a good story, you do have to plan. By the way, you know that's <laughs> that's very important. But to, just to bring him to life is is easy. And so the um, and there's something about the, pu- the purity of the medium. It's such a simple, you know, clay is so simple, uh, and it does have this elemental feel. You know, it feels like. Well, in fact, we'll see something later to so, but mm. sort of make the point. But you know, it's I. It's, Animators, amongst other things, are, are gods. I mean, small gods. Because you create characters, you create worlds, and you give it life. It's the, it is the most amazing thing to do. That's great for kids to do, to, to achieve that. Uh, when you see to give a film, them godlike power at a young age, yes. yeah, give it to me, yeah, 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 yes, yes. What could well, possibly go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 
you know, but you see a film like Chicken Run or something, and it's it's so magnificently complicated. It's very hard to make a film like Chicken Run, but Morph is simple. Yeah, and there's and, something so and, playful and, about that. Yeah, and also because he lives in the real world, he lives in our world, mm. um, and we often we've often said he's a bit like Charlie Chaplin. You can put him in a very mundane situation and have a lot of fun with him. And that's kind of what we discovered fairly early on, particularly, you know, he could pick up an object which to him is huge, yeah. relatively. So you can have a lot of fun with that scale thing. Scale. Um, you know, everyday problems that we have are colossal problems for him. Or he can exploit, you know, this little sequence, you know, where he might be using a mobile phone. And, and that's a huge, great screen from his point of view. Mm. Yeah. So that's what one of his great charms and one of his great delights is putting him in the real world. I just, I just love the way that he the, 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 falls in half. <laughs> and Chaz with the other one just goes. <laughs> it's, it's not very, it's not very kind, but they, they were, it's just always they always laugh at each other. It could happen to anyone, couldn't it? Really? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and we thought, you know, he's of this world, so we could t- we should take him out of this world. So uh, uh, earlier, earlier, well, are we July, aren't we? Yes, last summer in England, we sent him into space just for a laugh to have a, a, the first animated character in space. So it's a little, it's a little bit we do have a little clip from that as well, yeah, actually. Yeah. But I was going to ask you before that. I mean, you, these guys literally sent Morph into space, the first animated character <laughs> in space. And I had to, I had to ask: Is it was it just the end of financial year? We had like we had a, an extra thirty grand kicking around. You're like, let's, let's send him off to space. <laughs> we we just said ourselves. I don't know. It came out of some lunchtime discussion about stuff you could do with Morph, and there was a lot of, you know, it's one of those weather balloon things. And we thought, wouldn't it be a laugh to send Morph into space? Wouldn't it be great? And also great for kind of Morph's publicity. Yeah. And also what had happened, we'd sent an English astronaut to the space station. That was the idea. Hey, if we could get Morph linked to Tim Peake in the space station, that'd yeah. be great. <laughs> and we wanted, actually, we wanted to do the launch round about Tim Peake's launch of all sorts of weather conditions. We didn't do that, so we missed that window. We then wanted to do it round about, so we did it more or less round about his return to Earth. Yeah. Uh, and what we had to do, our stuff was very, very weather dependent because you don't want the thing to blow into, you know, up into space and land in a in a airport or something like that. Um, so we had to be quite flexible, and we just it was broadly round about Tim's return to Earth. It must be said that that um, that it, it, it was a, a techie exercise, you was, know. Yeah. And mm. Dave loves these kind of things. And the guy. And, <laughs> and there's a bunch of people at our band who are all boys who just got so excited about 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 this this technical jaunt. What you were saying before, there was kind of like a, a Land Rover just filled with yeah, gadgets. Yeah, so like we, a- we fell in with this guy who does this stuff. He was actually a software writer, but uh, he'd got into these uh, high-altitude balloon things. And he does a lot of stuff with schools. So he's got all this kit and he's got this predictive technology whereby if you launch it sort of here now, where will it land? It's remarkably accurate. It takes. He hasn't written it. It's a, it's a program that's on the internet. But it takes into account all the, the weather, the uh, jet streams and everything mm. else. It's incredibly accurate. So you've got, you know, a bit of kit on the board which tells you how, where, how high he is and kind of where he is. And when he lands, he's got a transponder and this guy made this little gizmo which would track him down like a kind of treasure chest buried somewhere. Um, I just and love, that, I love be, that visual, by the way, just like you guys just out in a paddock somewhere in the middle of England just kind of trying to find more. Yeah. Well, exactly. And so it becomes, it becomes yeah. a sort of great chase because you're thinking, where is he? oh, it looks like it's going to land over there, quick drive over there. No, he's going to be landing over there. U-turn, back up yeah. the road. And then... Um, he landed in a, in a huge field of beans, huge, massive field of beans. He's <laughs> in there somewhere. You actually sent him up twice. From, you sent him up twice, yeah. yeah. Sadly, uh, we were so concerned about the... We had three 
two or three GoPro cameras on it, and we're so concerned about the cameras getting cold, the batteries getting cold, that we encase them in kind of styrene and stuff. In fact, they overheated. Oh. Uh, um, we'd put cameras actually the batteries on the back of the cameras, and the, they got too hot because they're on all the time, and a couple of the cameras stopped working. So oh. the critical footage. So we did it again yeah. to get the critical footage. Um, and then Pete went on the chase, and you had a huge, you had a great laugh. It was great, it was hilarious. It, 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 so it is fun. great fun. No, if, great if, fun. If, if you've got kids at school interested in science, yeah. just do it. Don't even yeah. think about it, just do yeah. it. It's great yeah. fun. So much to learn, <laughs> huge amount to learn, Boyle's Law, all that kind of stuff. But a, a great fun. And so we thought, well, we can't send an animator up with him, but how could we get him to animate in space? So we had a little, had a little electric motor to wave his arm. In fact, if you look closely at that picture, uh, just about here on him, there's, there's a little bit of there's something sticking out of his spacesuit. I'm afraid that's the that's the end of a piece of wire, which is miraculously attached to his to his hand to make him wave. Yeah. He's yeah. gone. That, what, that, well, that, what, what happens is the balloon starts out big. It's a bit. It's full of hydrogen. It starts out big, but as it gets up, up you know, how, how high was it? Sixty thousand. Yeah, yeah, really, really high. Goes the, into it. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, with, uh, as the pressure decreases outside, and then it just bursts. So that was all that stuff in, the, in behind him was flying latex, and then there were all these strings attached to the balloon, and and one of the strings wrapped around his neck and whisked, whisked, and whisked him up. Yeah, and and what happened was that when it came down at the top of a bloody great tree, so. Then, but our man had a sixty-foot fishing pole to hook it out down from the top of the tree, <laughs> pull it down from the tree, um, and it all crashed down. And, the, and of course, Morph was nowhere to be seen. And then they got the camera out, looked at the camera, and saw this happening. Saw him disappearing. Thought, oh no, where, where can he be? Anywhere, in the, anywhere in Britain, he could be now, <laughs> lying. How embarrassing would that be? Uh, but then we heard. I think we think we heard a faint whirring noise, and and he was. St- Actually, he was trapped halfway up the tree, st- still waving, I think. And, 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 uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I just got real flashbacks to gravity and just kind of just felt it was re- like, reminiscent it was of Sandra like, Bullock just kind of you know, dizzyingly spinning around that, in space. Yeah, that's very good. That was, that was our idea, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to remake gravity with more. Um, right. You know, last night we kind of covered, uh, I guess, I guess the, the start and the genesis of Ardman as well as kind of moving on to Wallace and Gromit. But tonight I wanted to kind of just look at I guess the step in between that, and, and we, we kind of we looked at Nick's successes, and of course we can't overlook those. But I also want to look at your own, Peter, and um, play one of my favourite films of Peter's, which is a, a film called Adam, which was uh, nominated for an Oscar in which year? Going back away? Yeah, I don't. I'm no. Nope, got nominated sorry. for an Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, we're going to play it for you now. It's a, it's a we're going to play it in its entirety. It's a five minute film, and it's a r- real beautiful little film, and, and kind of harks back to what Peter was saying before about. Playing God, there's a kind of a cheeky yeah. little nod to that in here. I think my favourite moment is that in in that is where Adam makes a bow a bow tie but no pants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's such a it's like the, the character animation there is so sophisticated and so ahead of its time. Like, just walk us walk us through the process of making that film. Oh crikey! Um, the thing I remember uh, most about it is that. Um, it's very like Morph, really. This is the same idea. Yeah. And um, we had made uh, a whole series of Morph stories and I thought some of them were very good. I mean, some of them weren't, some of them weren't great, but a few of them were really good. And they never got accepted into any animation festivals, which was kind of annoying. And it was, anno- it was, it was annoying because it said, 
in effect, because they're for kids, they're not important, not which, which really annoyed me. And so that was a partly, almost, almost self-consciously, uh, an attempt to do a morph sequence for adults. That was kind of it. So the um, morph interacted sometimes with the live-action presenter, Tony Hart, who was a, some of you will remember. Um, and so we re- replaced Tony Hart with God, and, uh, <laughs> and there we go. And gave him little bits... Uh, so knowing that that was that would get to an adult audience, well, I, I also remember at the end that that clinch at the end that we shot that twice. We we didn't we didn't shoot many things twice, mm. but uh, must have got the timing wrong at the end. Uh, I think I think it, originally it just ended on the the holding hands and the cameras partially quite pulled out quite a long way. I thought that's a good that's a good button. Mm. But you needed something, just another another button on that, just to really land it, and that clinch mm. is the. Mm. So we did shoot it twice, but actually it it, it, it works really well. Yeah, it's such so, a beautiful moment when they just turn yeah. away from each other. It's almost like yeah. they're guiltily yeah. kind of accepting their <laughs> yeah. fate. Yeah. Um, and and just just walk us through the process. I mean, that that obviously had quite a few camera moves there, like some some sophisticated. Yeah, stuff, I mean, there so. were a number of rigs on it, and it was pretty well all shot in camera. Mm-hmm. There was almost mm. no, uh, you know, in, when we made it. We would have been doing film opticals if you want to do any tricksy stuff, which is incredibly expensive and very time-consuming, and you have to send everything off to somebody else, um, a way in which you combine elements. So most of that is shot in camera. Mm. There's a model of the globe in the exhibition, actually, and it was on a, on a scaffold pole on, on a motor so it could rotate. Um, there were mostly the cameras putting in and out. We had a simple pan and tilt head and a, and a, and a 5 to one I think, zoom lens. So the zoom mm. moves, all right. done on a zoom lens. So that yep. simplified that. So was it a motion control setup or was it just... It was very, it's fairly crude motion control. It was early yeah. days of, of, of uh, calib- well, yeah, calibrating and motorising stepper motors on, on things. We had a bit of... And then um, when the figure Adam is running around the world, the world is kind of on one lead and there's a sheet of glass and it's a completely separate rig. Yeah. Um, so the camera's looking down on um, a sheet of glass. So, so the figure's running around a sheet of glass so he's not yeah. hasn't got to be suspended and be upside down. Mm. And the model of the globe is behind that and still on a on a rotator as needed to be. Um, I think that and the, and the close-ups took care of themselves. It was two it's two very different rigs, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And that mm-hmm. was it. Incredibly clever. Yeah. Um we're going to move on to music now, which I is, is such a large part of, of my personal inspiration, you know, yeah. with you guys, but also yeah. obviously such a large part of your back catalogue. And um I, I guess when we think about music videos, we think about thriller, we think about weapon of choice. And we think about Sledgehammer, yep. Um, yep. which is yep. the, the the classic. Yeah, that yeah. You guys, of course, credit. Yeah, we. I must say just quickly that we don't, we, we can't take the credit. We like to take all the credit, as you know. But <laughs> uh, but um, we were approached by a guy called um, Stephen Johnson, uh, who's director, uh, and he and he sort of worked out with, with Peter Gabriel before they came to us. So we executed it, but we didn't conceive it. That's true. Fair. <laughs> so it's worth saying it's a f- three and a half minute video which we shot in six days flat which is going some um i've just we, we rediscovered that we actually have the camera neg for this so we've just gone through a full restoration process on the camera neg which gives you all the footage we shot and i've been doing little interviews with the crew members and one of them one of the model makers reminded me that on after well day two the first day of the shoot got the rushes back from the labs and we had about three seconds in the can Mm. And he said, so he said, Dave, you said something like one day, three seconds, four and a half minutes, six days. 
we better get a move on, chaps. <laughs> <laughs> and although it was very roughly planned, the storyboard was really quite crude. It was an A3 sheet of paper and there were about a dozen images on it, including baby elephant that we wanted to be in there. We had about two or three weeks to prepare bits and make some models, but most of it, like this scene, these backdrops which changed, they took a while to prepare, but most of the props were almost made on the morning of the shoot. Wow. Um, or during the process. So it's incredibly spontaneous. I mean, great fun to do it because we literally had a week to shoot it in. Nick, so this is an example. This is Nick, who actually is a very keen ornithologist. Um, <laughs> and was given the job of animating these chickens. And Stephen Johnson wanted, I suppose we overuse the word authenticity now, uh, but he wanted to look a bit more authentic. He didn't want, we said, great, we'll make latex chickens. It's not a problem. We can make nice animated chickens. We can you know, cast them, make them in rubber. We'll put an arm on He said, no, 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 I want, you know, lose real chickens. Go down the real supermarket. Carcasses, yeah. Yeah, yeah, go and get some frozen chickens and <laughs> break their bones and stick aluminium in, which we did. And so you, there you have two, you know, one pound. And yeah, chickens. there's Nick looking with no enthusiasm uh, at yes. all. Because yeah, <laughs> it was one day to, uh, at least one day to get to the supermarket and break them and put aluminium wire inside. Then, then they went back in the fridge and then, and then they were on set for two days under hot lights. The, they and were, they were pretty high. And you just see in his face, he's like, this isn't really what I signed up for. <laughs> no, and, yeah, and, and, and the word botulism was kind of flying around and salmonella was flying around the studio quite yeah. a lot. Um, and actually, you see, if you watch carefully, you do see them degrade a bit. We yeah, soften that in the restoration, yeah. but you do see yeah. them degrade. There was also so, there was fish and vegetables as well being shot yeah. elsewhere, yeah. And, that, and it was hot, hot weather, so the whole place was spectacularly smelly. <laughs> yeah. so, so Pete did the clay animation. Uh, you spent must have bought three or four days shooting, yeah, I guess, I yeah, yeah. Nick was doing this we had the Quay Brothers doing the fruit and veg and the kind of little wooden scene I was running between sets and cameras and then down to the student theatre rigging what was the end sequence which we shot on four if not five cameras wow. uh, at the same time only so you could intercut different angles and things um, and that was great fun and we finished at about four o'clock on the Sunday morning uh, completely exhausted but Peter <laughs> Gabriel himself I always thought he had more energy than the rest of us mm. put together. He was absolutely fantastic. Mm. Um, and it was literally a couple of weeks later, Pete and I went to New York to talk about doing some work there for a, a company doing a kid's show. And I remember walking into Tower Records, which is quite a new, very cool shop then, um, with these video screens, and suddenly up came Sledgehammer. Oh, blimey, it's, here it is. It's, <laughs> it's landed here. And it was like the best calling card ever. You know, we'd be with these animation guys and this production team in New York, and they'd say, well, so what have you guys done? We said, well, I've just been shooting yes. that Sledgehammer video. Have a beer! You know, um, <laughs> didn't need to buy a drink for, for weeks. It was great. I mean, but it was, it's a, it's a really, it's very interesting. And, going, and looking back and talking to the crew about all their individual stories, about how they saw it happen and of course the Nick story has been really interesting because it became such a seminal video. Mm, mm. <laughs> 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 that, that guy was a Brazilian student living in Bristol uh, and he was bitching about everything the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, and he... he and, he was also quite a ham, actually, to be honest. But, but it's fantastic material. The, <laughs> the polar bears um, ran the corner shop where we used to buy our sandwiches at, at lunchtime. <laughs> so so that's they weren't polar bears. Just to be clear. Wasn't it? Uh, talk to me a little bit about meeting Nick, because um, you met him when he was still in film school. Is that correct? Yeah, he, uh, he was at the National Film and Television School in Beaconsfield, outside London. And as a student there, you could call on working professionals to come and kind of mentor you. Mm. Um, and he'd actually seen Morph on TV. Uh, and he was working 
in Clay uh, doing his graduation film. And he said, can I meet the guys that do Morph? And it was kind of odd. We got this call. Can you come and lecture one of our students? And we thought, well, we haven't had any formal training in what we do. It's a bit like the blind leading the yeah. blind. But we went up there and uh, Nick was in a little, a, little, little, uh, a little room, a little studio. Well, it's a cupboard, basically, a large cupboard, very small space that he'd given it as a studio. And he was making this extraordinary film featuring this very orange rocket uh, and his student film became A Grand Day Out, and it was the first appearance, obviously, of, of uh, Wallace and Gromit. But there's something about what he was doing. If you remember in, in A Grand Day Out, there's a lovely sequence. The rocket's about to take off, the fuse is going, the, the, the rockets fire, and there's a huge bright light. And you cut to a bunch of mice in the corner of the cellar watching, and they all put on sunglasses. And it's just a really funny idea, completely absurd. And I thought, actually, Nick, he's, he's definitely got a great wit mm. and a great ability to kind of communicate and land stuff. Um, and so, you know, we chatted to him and then we got to know him better. Here he is, this is a film actually at the, at the film school, um, shooting a grand day out. Has he made the classic mistake of leaving the lens cap on? <laughs> ah, I think, though, though, he was so untrustworthy of those cameras that between frames he would cap the lens uh, to avoid fogging the film. Some of the early cameras, in fact, the one that he shot uh, Creature Comforts on was a rather core, well, a, a, a conversion. So we say it's a conversion of a, of a, a live-action film camera, and it, uh, it did leak light if you didn't cap the shutter between frames. Yeah. Film cameras don't... They're designed to run film at 25 frames a second, so the film stays in the gate for a fraction of a second and then moves on. We're holding the frame in the gate for hours and hours on end, and if any little bit of light comes through, it's going to get fogged. Thankfully, with digital cameras, we don't have that problem anymore. Yeah. Um, we might play a little um, clip of... Uh, 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 wrong trousers. Wrong trousers. Wrong trousers. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this one's the uh, the heist scene, which is just impeccably um, impeccably kind of crafted and storyboarded and, 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 and just kind of realised scene. Yeah. I mean, it's so complicated. Yes. And mm-hmm. I remember watching this as a child and just thinking, how did you suspend him from the roof like that? Yeah. I mean, you're defying gravity here. How does this, how does yeah. this, how does this possibly come about? Yeah. Power, powerful magnets. Is yeah. the answer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, obviously, you guys kind of you had a lot of success up until this point, but you sort of this is where the, the dream started to really yeah. started getting realised, wasn't it? It's sort yeah. of like yeah, from strength I, to strength. You know, Nick picked up picked up an Oscar for Creature Comforts, which was fantastic, and then the wrong trousers picked up an Oscar, well. and people start to take you seriously. And the film is is beautifully executed. It is just it's so cinematic, and it's beautifully the story's told really well. Nick has this uncanny knack. If you look at the storyboard for the wrong trousers and look at the film, there's, there's almost no difference. He just had a great knack of knowing where to put the camera to tell the story. Um, and, you know, we wrong trousers led to the close shave and doors started to open. It has to be said that in the meantime, we were doing quite a lot of commercial work, TV commercials. Mm. So we'd carved out a little niche in kind of character-led puppet animation, stop frame animation. So we had some money coming in so we could basically spend some of that money actually on Nick to develop the next great idea yeah. uh, and indeed make films like Adam and other short films and we were learning our craft the, the joy of one of the joys of the advertising industry as was in England in the 80s and 90s was it, it was kind of on a roll um, they wanted very high quality production values and they were willing to pay for it so we and learned you, and a you lot very about, much in demand as well yeah very much in demand yeah. and, and so we learned a lot about technique and pop and anything else uh, and could afford to get good models made and uh, hmm. learnt a lot. And a lot of that is reflected, actually, in the sort of way that we made these sorts of films. Mm. Those skills were sort of transferable. Yeah, like when you learn the commercials yeah. with the money, you could then kind of take into your own personal work and exactly, make yeah. sure that's so. Yeah. 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 But that, that, 
that penguin was uh, larger than... There's one downstairs in the um, exhibition, which is the real size, which is, like, that big. Um, we did make a... Had made a close-up penguin for, those, for these shots. <laughs> and, he's, and he is sweating. But, which is the only emotion he ever shows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, obviously, last time we touched on uh, the kind of the technique you, you developed in order to to kind of for the for the chase sequence, yeah. I mean, the, the blurring of the background, and the laying of the track. Um, and whilst I don't want to go on about that too much tonight, it was kind of then a technique that you took into Curse of the Web as well. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, and there you can see the scale of the models. That is, you know, you can see those animators oh. working the way his Curse of the Web Rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> that that thing with the uh, with the purse. It's so brilliant, mm. and I remember that that was a late-breaking idea. Like, yep. you know, he, he was very late did he have that idea, and um, you know, I can remember saying, "Are you sure?" Because you know, it's so exciting, and now you're going you're to let all the air out of it. Is that <laughs> is that wise? And he, but he just knew, he just knew, and the, and the, the the ridiculous little little jeweled purse he produces is kind of, it's kind of <laughs> perfect. I mean, it's so hard to have spont- spontaneity in animation so often mm-hmm. because you have to you have to plan it, you have to storyboard it, mm-hmm. you have to make sure it works. And then I think it is sometimes nice to inject a little of those, of those moments that you kind of come up with on the fly. They often make or make a yeah. make a yeah. scene. Yeah. Um, I do, I do, but I'm conscious that we're kind of losing a little bit of time, so I wanted to move on to a little bit of behind the scenes, and if we can get the the, um, the sound turned down this one, just so we can talk over the top of it a little bit. Yeah, because um, we always, we like to show these behind the scenes um, compilations, just because the studio itself is, a, is just a thing to celebrate. It's a, it's a wonderful place. Uh, so many artists and craftspeople there, you know, doing fabulous things, uh, which which is, you know, it's... It's all there, but I'd love to show it on the screen. The, the scale that amuses me. You know, charming to watch giants walking around on the sets like yeah. this. So that little sh- that little um, set is actually in the exhibition, that Totty's Hall, her mansion. A huge amount of model making, uh, quite a big space, lots of sets on the go when we do a feature, up to maybe 35, 40 sets at any one time. Lots of replicas of every character, particularly the lead characters, because they have to beyond many sets at the same time. Um, and what these, these pieces show is just the, 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 the amount of craft and effort that goes into everything you see on screen. Ev- everything you see on screen is, yeah. is beautifully handmade. Um, I, I always think the model makers have the best life. Yeah. Spent every yeah. day being paid to make beautiful models. I mean, yeah. what a... And the electricians sort of soldered on every bulb by hand. <laughs> it was an extraordinary elaborate process. I also like to um, mischievously uh, mock the opposition because, like, uh, like the people at Pixar, for example, they make you know wonderful films. Uh, and if you ever see films about Pixar, that you always see their crazy zany offices. They have hilariously zany offices, and that's because their work is fundamentally dull. <laughs> because uh, because all they're doing is sitting at computers all day. Whereas, as you can see in our place, it's fundamentally it's like a huge toy shop. It's just like a playground. <laughs> And how was it working with Voldemort as well? Was that a, was that a fun time? <laughs> yes, yeah. he was He's great. He yeah. was great. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. he was terrific. Kind of going into that because I mean, obviously, you sort of uh, again went from strength to strength, and, and and Nick was kind of accumulating Oscars, Oscars yeah. all over the place. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that brought you into a whole another world again, didn't it? it was sort of, he went from from being a few guys in a garage to being like surrounded the Oscar by winners. Yeah, and you know, people often say what it's like going to the Oscars. Well, you know, you get dressed up. This, this our, our obsession with bow ties. Pete <laughs> uses bow ties. Nick uses bow ties. 
Um, you, you sit in these big stretch black limos. And I, in fact, one of the first times you went, I think it was for uh, Long Trousers, I'd got a very nice DJ, but it was a second-hand DJ. And as I got into the car, the inside seam of these trousers just split. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, we're with our, there's Pete, me, Nick, and our producer, Carla, and a couple of others. So it takes about an hour to get from the hotel to the venue. It's, you know, you enter this cavalcade. Mm. So I ran back into the hotel, grabbed one of those little sewing packs that you always have in hotel rooms, <laughs> and uh, got off the car, took my trousers off, and Carla very kindly <laughs> sewed them up. So that was the glamour of going to the Oscars, uh. actually getting there. <laughs> and of course, when you get there, you meet, you know, these stars... Next slide. The sort of thing. Yeah. Um, Speaking and, of glamour. And, and I remember very, very sort of vividly in my mind, way back, the, the, the yeah, around, probably the same one. The, the ceremony is about five hours long. You know, there's a lot of advertising breaks. It's got shorter now, but it was about five hours long. So everybody has to go to the loo at some point. Um, and they have these seat fillers in, in students in tuxes that will fill the seats to make sure that every seat is filled when they cut back, when they get back from the ad break. And I can remember going off the gents and doing what a man does in the loo, turning around, and there was Jack Nicholson. What? <laughs> well, of course he's here. You know, what do you ha- but how do you react? You know? Yeah. Thanks, man. Certainly can take its toll. And this picture, which oh, I discovered, sorry, sorry. Uh, that picture which I discovered at home, you know, you've, the, the ceremony wraps half nine ten-ish there's a dinner uh, and Lele goes to bed actually quite early um, but of course the BBC in particular this was whatever which one it was probably Nick's second or third Oscar wanted a live feed into the breakfast show uh, eight o'clock in the morning on BBC so eight o'clock in the morning in London is twelve o'clock in LA midnight so we've had a few beers and a few glasses of wine, and then you're trying to behave as if you're normal in front of a camera, midnight in LA. And there's a picture of Nick uh, trying not to sound too slurred. <laughs> and then you make your way back um, in this in this state. Yeah, the party's over, guys. So I want to move along to, uh, I guess, to the chicken runs, yep. if we can. Um, we might talk over the top of this one as well, yeah. and just kind of moving more into the into the future, and, and indeed into the kind of the, the feature film territory. You guys kind of started yeah. working very heavily in. I mean, how was that transition going from short? We spoke a little bit about it before, but you went from Chicken Run and then on to uh, Flushed Away after that as well. How how was the transition between Clay and CG? Wow, I mean, both transitions both transitions were enormous. The sheer scale of of it, you know, mm. the, the making a feature film is is a massive endeavour, and and we had to learn to be sort of Industrialized. I, I totally hate that word, I, I, uh, but it is like that. You uh, a process which started out with two, you know, two guys in the kitchen table. Well, now suddenly you've got 150 people, and of course you've got loads of animators and so on. So that needs a whole new way of thinking. Um, working with an animation studio for a uh, a big American release mm. is, is something else again, because um, because the American studio, in this case DreamWorks, had um, their ambitions and expectations and, and the whole deal was we'd make a film that that would be successful around the world. That was the plan. Yeah. Um, and I must say, luckily, uh, Chicken Run really was. It was... Um, uh, when it was made, when we made it for uh, DreamWorks, it was their most successful film that they'd made to date. They'd made five, five others, I think. Ours was the top, so that was very gratifying. <laughs> um, that was wonderful. And then, and then later, um, we moved on to make Flushed Away, which was a, uh, a, a CG film, yeah. a computer film. And that was 
Oh, wow, there's a whole other set of challenges indeed. The re- reality was that we'd started making it as a stop-motion film, so right. we, we designed the characters. We have puppets of them back at base. It was going to be stop-motion with CG set extensions, but at a certain stage, we frankly found ourselves in the middle of um, a, a Hollywood wrangle, I guess, really, and, and, and DreamWorks wanted to film urgently. Right, and we were still shooting wherever at the time, I think. So, I think we were, yeah. so we could yeah. we could full start. capacity already. Yeah, yeah. and so it was and they they just pulled the film, so their facility suddenly had a lot of capacity, and they ate, they wanted to fill that. So they said, "Come, come and make it at our place," uh, which we did. And it's a little bit like going to live in somebody else's house. You don't well, where do you keep your napkins and where are the knives? You know, you yeah. trying to. I I never did work out how that kind of pipeline how they actually produce stuff yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. we had a fair number of crew out there uh, animators and a DOP and, and you know, quite a few others and we got there in the end but it was a, mm. it was a, a interesting I yeah think, like it's somebody else's house as Dave said but also yeah. it's, it's, it is a machine when you get to the ho- mm. Hollywood um, having said our process is, industrial, is industrialised it's still absolutely at a human level but a big Hollywood studio working at full revs is pretty terrifying to be involved in. That, that, the, the toad was played by Sir Ian McKellen, who was absolutely fantastic to work with. He was Gandalf ex- the Grey. Gandalf the Grey. Wow. <laughs> he was spectacular. He, he would, um, he'd take a line of dialogue when he, was, when he was recording dialogue and he'd start his instruments very low pace. Then he'd work himself up and he'd work himself up into an absolute ferocious pattern. And, and he'd be spitting, spitting, and sweat would be flying off. And, oh, wow. Thanks. Thanks to him. That was very good, you know. And he'd, 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 he'd do each line 15 times with increasing passion. It was very, really helpful, actually. Amazing. <laughs> and then, of course, we moved into um, Arthur's Christmas. Oh, crikey. Now, now we've changed studios as well because this was made with Sony. So we made three films with DreamWorks, and I mean, you know, we we were we were very happy with working with them. We were happy to stop working with them, <laughs> and uh, and the truth is, they you know we weren't making enough money for them. It's as simple as that. It's yep. as simple as that. You know, they wanted they had very high ambitions, and a British film. However brilliant, it was just not wasn't quite cutting it. So, um, and I guess you have you have a very British voice and and, and stay mm. true to that as well, but rather than trying trying to make American, yeah, and they weren't they weren't too pushy. I mean, there were little dialogue things. I mean, in Chicken Run, they didn't understand the word torch. torch. They wanted that changed to flashlight, mm. and because their torch is a flaming thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just said, no, no, we'll just have, we'll have, just have Mrs. Mrs. Tweedy show a flashlight, and we'll get it. Mm. But she'll say the word torch. Mm. So they weren't too pushy. But and I think. You know, Jeffrey Katzenberg and DreamWorks, they're incredibly ambitious to try and start from scratch a major Hollywood studio. And they they did a really good job. As you know, it's changed hands. It's now part of Universal. And we got sent a very nice pack of all the films they'd put out, the, the, stop, you know, the, the animation films they'd put out. And it's an extraordinary body of work over 20-odd years, I suppose. Mm, yeah. um, but it cost them a lot of money. And uh, I think they just ran out of cash, to be honest. Yeah. Um, we might have to skip ahead a little yeah. bit, and, and we did cover off Shaun the Sheep last night. So apologies to those who are massive fans of the of the little fella. <laughs> um, there's a few moors in the crowd. Um, we have a few stills here to kind of tie you over. Um, we might be able to quickly <laughs> show this. Quickly yes. show this. We yes. can maybe talk at the top of this. Oh, all right. Yes. So we yes. So the Shaun the Sheep uh, TV series was was great. I mean, absolutely lovely and. Uh, uh, sort of created by Richard Starzak, hugely successful. And Richard, who had sort of 
invented the new Shaun the Sheep, approached us and said um, he thought we could do a feature film. Uh, and we were kind of, um, well, we ultimately were up for it, but we were quite nervous because, because making a 80-minute film without any dialogue at all is quite mm. the challenge. But this is, this is just a great scene. <laughs> the great thing about this scene is... <laughs> <laughs> is, the situation is so, is so wonderfully clear, isn't it? You know. <laughs> and I guess that's the thing. It's like even without dialogue, even without sound, right now we can still, yep. we can still yep. laugh at yeah. the, the visual comedy. Yeah, yeah. And it you goes laugh. back to that kind of Charlie Chaplin inspiration of, of earlier. Yes. Mm. <laughs> and, yeah, and, and and like Charlie Chaplin, you know, like the facial stuff is not big. It's it's, it, you know, it's relatively <laughs> it's relatively understated. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 that's a great sequence. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I guess one of the great things about Armin too is like from from my perspective, you've always been the kings of innovation in the stop motion landscape. And, and one of my personal favourites was always Angry Kid. Yep. Um, yes. And you can see these faces down the exhibition. What what you did there was effectively make masks to put on humans. Yeah. Yep. So um, Darren sculpted in clay a whole series of expressions for Angry Kid, and they were then vacuum formed in in PVC. So they're like like the, the masks you buy at Halloween shop, to be honest. Painted them, and he had hell of a lot actually. Um, and at the end of the day, about four hundred of these things. Wow. So the, he he we had an, a, a kind of actor playing Angry Kid, which we shot as, as it were pixelation, and he wore a kind of little wig that would fit these things onto. An angry kid is, a, is an angry kid, as it says yeah. on the tin. That's who he is. So <laughs> let's, let's watch one of these. Yeah, I think, I think I'll go to the second one. Okay. Um, you love this. Yeah. Yeah. You I, love I, this one, This is you? my favourite. This is my personal favourite. I watched this about a thousand times as a kid. <laughs> as an angry kid. <laughs> He's really bad. He's yeah. a bad person. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. So that was, that was Darren. The, that technique was is extraordinary and amazing. You, if I hadn't seen it, I would never believe it could work, that crazy technique yep. it does. And, and, it and if you look at that still frame, they're, they're human hands. Is it, mm. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Animated face, but a full-blown full, full blown person. I don't know who that person underneath there is. But That's Nick, Nick Upton. I called Nick Upton, who was actually an editor, but he was really good at holding position. Yeah. And, and, and Darren worked really fast. You kind of get there, change, yeah. change your head, change your face. Move, was he also a yoga quick. instructor in his spare time? To kind of hold oh, well, he's, he's gone a bit mad. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Possibly as a result. <laughs> he, he, he has found a modern way of doing it. So now he uses CG masks and he can run around and shoot live action as if it's live action and then puts the faces on in CG later. But he's softened a bit. He hasn't, he's not quite as angry as he no. is. As, as Dan's got older, he's got a bit more mellow. Mild, mildly yeah. peeved kid. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, mildly peeved kid, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, we might skip over the next one um, just because it's got a little bit of foul language and there's a few younger members in the audience sure. and in the, in, you know, in, the, in the interest of saving time as well. So what we're but, talking about here is giving opportunities... Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> oh, <right>. sorry. <laughs> is uh, giving opportunity to the other people in the studio, the other directors, the other animators. Um, and this guy who's now actually was... He's, he's gone to LA, actually. He's working there on... Mm. Uh, He's been on Gumball, wasn't he, for a while? I think. Yeah, I think so. yeah, yeah. Mm. 
crazy guy called Tom Parkinson. Really, really crazy guy. But we're not going to see that. We're not going to see it. No. But, yeah, it's, but it's, you can look, look at that online. You'll find that on our website. So <laughs> look at that online. Um, but yeah, you, you really did kind of give room for, for kind of, I guess, the more eccentric creators to, to kind of produce content with an album. Yeah, like, again, yeah. adult content with an album yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, the, and the other way of looking at it, um, you're right, is that in fact that getting everyone to do Nick Park style would be very unnatural because that you know that's his that's, that's his Park. thing you know yeah. and and uh, um, and there's, and and I will be honest and say that that is a that is a thin path we've walked for many many years because the the outside world just wants more and more of Nick Park's stuff you know yeah. un- understandably uh, and we we some, and we do replicate it with other people. Um, but it's great to let other directors do their own thing. Have their own space as mm. well. Um, so speaking of collaboration, yep. I guess, we're kind of just moving into a couple of commercials here. TV commercials. How yeah. did you find that transition, um, kind of moving from... Um, <laughs> that, was, that was easy and rather fun, to be absolutely honest with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We were lucky in the early days. It came, it spun off the back of the work we're doing for Channel 4, uh, these conversation pieces, and... Uh, we were very lucky in the first two or three commercials we made with big London agencies to have very supportive producers in the agencies. They knew that we were quite green. They were working with some very, very creative people. Yep. And they kind of really supported us. It was, a very, it was a very nice thing to be part of. We were actually probably quite anxious and quite scared because these were quite big budgets and yeah. you know, your career's kind of on the line. But they knew that actually just help them along and help, you know, things that help. How, how much does the commercial cost? I've got no idea. <laughs> um, what do they expect to pay and what have they told their client? And those sorts of things uh, were very helpful. Um, there's a constant two-way process, so you are guided through it as well. This is one of my favourites. This is a crazy thing we did a while ago. It's a really nice blend of like live action and yeah, and, well. and that was actually there was a, a, in the early days of digital comping. Um, I think a machine called Harry it was called, um, and that was put together on that. So the live action was straight live action, and then we shot the other elements separately and pasted them in later. Mm. But it's great fun to do, and and in fact the the client ran it for two or three years, and they took it off air, and then almost by popular demand they brought it back on about five six years later. So it's <laughs> a, it's a, and, it, and it is a timeless piece. It's a it's a crazy piece. Unfortunately, we're really, really running out of time yep. here, but I, I did want to kind of show this little piece as well, which is, I guess, a, a step for Arben into a, a new dimension. In, into uh, virtual reality, yeah. And this, this was a version of virtual reality that Google um, sponsored. Um, they called Google Spotlight Stories. And it's VR that you view on a phone. So you use your phone as if it was the camera. As you move the, your, your phone around, you look, you look around the world. Uh, and it was... It was Absolutely fascinating. It was great, you know, great project to work on, uh, and using the very up-to-date um, software that Google were developing and, and testing the whole time as we worked. So the thing about these we, things is you're telling a lot of stories simultaneously. The idea is that obviously the audience can look around to the scene as they wish. Um, so the intellectual challenge was how do you sew these? How do you sew these stories together? Um, yeah, yes. And you can see the little gags. So it's a bit like a, um, a curious three-dimensional puzzle. There's a main theme, there's a main narrative going through it, then lots of little stories happening in the various apartments, which are triggered as the viewer will move um, into that section of the scene. So it's a bit like Rear Window. It's, like, it's based on that idea, Hitchcock's Rear Window, a series of apartments uh, in which things happen, and then this narrative about Father Christmas trying to deliver parcels. Yeah. Yes. Well, um, ladies and gentlemen, I, I guess I'd like to, um, to give a round of applause to both Peter and Dave for coming on out today. 
You have been listening to an Acme podcast. For more recordings, go to soundcloud.com slash acmeonline or the Acme website.